are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Power in Us. Good morning, Sojourn family and friends. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says, the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. Paul came in high, didn't he? Good to see y'all this morning. I wanted to say uh, welcome. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. We are thrilled that you would join us today. Uh, We're picking up in our series on the Holy Spirit power within us. And today's topic is the Holy Spirit in your body. But before we get there, man, I just want to piggyback off what Pastor Luke said in his beautiful offertory appeal. Uh, Yesterday was absolutely beautiful. Um, this church volunteers really uh, stepped up to just love uh, people in our church, people in our community. Uh, we are so grateful for the many partnerships with uh, local colleges and, and nurses and, and dentists and, and doctors um, who just helped serve people's physical needs. And I just wanted to uh, pause and just say thank you to C to Oaks. Thank you to our, our reach, team, reach team. Thank you to every single volunteer for helping us to be salt and light in this community. In fact, I just want to pause and see if anyone was here yesterday who actually served during our medical clinic. And we just want to say thank you with a round of applause. You can stand. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for letting us acknowledge you all. We, uh, we know that you gave up a, a lot of time yesterday, nine to two, uh, to just do that. And we appreciate that. So um, second, I, I want to give a quick plug to our equip ministries, our equip ministries. Amen. Uh, both women and men's equip is starting up soon, I believe on uh, the 8th. Yes, October 8th. And so we just want to really put this before you. My goal, your pastor's goal, our goal, um, as well as our women's ministry goal is to get just as full of participation as we can um, uh, for this. Uh, We uh, want buy-in from our church. Uh, We believe that uh, the Lord is calling us, and as he has always called the church, as he's calling every local church um, to be countercultural. And during these equipped classes, you will uh, study the Bible and you will learn truth. You'll be in community with others, which God uses to form us. And you'll also put into some habits and be a part of our church's habits to not just gather together in community in the ways that we do, but also to gather around God's word. The world is seeking to disciple us and to deform us from the image of Christ. 
And if we are going to be healthy, holistic, wholehearted people, we have to put habits in place together as a community, sitting under God's word so that we can be countercultural. The men are starting a men Bible study, which uh, we're kicking off really for the first time. Women have been doing this for a long, long time. So we're just playing catch up and we're going to be studying Eric Mason's Manhood Restored. And what's beautiful about this book is it's just looking at Jesus, who is our example of a man. And it's looking at how Jesus restores our and redeems us and he restores our brokenness. And he gives us a beautiful picture of what it means just to be a man. Now, we've really been pushing this through CGs, and there's some people here who are not a part of a community group. So I, that's why I'm pressing in on this, because you don't have a community group leader pestering you to come with them for these six weeks to join in this Bible study. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, this is my personal invitation to you to join Equip. I also want to encourage our seasoned saints here who may not be in a community group or who may just think, hey, this is just for everybody else. Like, we need you. We need you. Uh, man, we need wisdom. And the Lord has given you experience and life experience. We would love for you to be a part of this so that you can remind us, uh, some, us. I'm not sure if I'm in that anymore. I just turned 40. You know what I'm saying? But some of these people <laughs> who are younger, that Jesus is faithful, that he has gotten you to where you are, the anchor holds, and he can get them to where you are. Also, I'm from the black church tradition. And for those of you who feel like this is a bit of a stretch, you're like, man, we got Sunday service. Man, that's enough, right? That's one day a week already. Uh, man, in the churches I grew up with, we had Sunday service. We had Bible study on Wednesday night. We had community group, all right? Um, we, can, we can do a little more and, and be together for Jesus, all right? I know we're in different parts of life, different seasons of life. We took out community groups to replace this so that you could be present. And so we would love to see y'all there. And we need some, we need some, we need some chocolate there too. So we're going to be a Moss Ethnic church. Y'all don't, y'all don't be having me out there like that. All right. Let's pray and we'll dive into the word. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your kindness. And thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, that you will give us fresh manna in this moment. Your word says of Jesus that a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not put out. And so I pray for the person who has just a really heavy conscience as we talk about uh, sexual sin in our bodies and the Holy Spirit, that you would keep them, minister to them, allow your love to engulf them. And I pray today for the person who is just addicted and entangled, that you would give them freedom by allowing them to see the beauty of Jesus and that Jesus is better. Holy Spirit, we know that you are here, but we ask you to come. Even now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we talk about the Holy Spirit in our body, we want to just acknowledge the fact that conversations about sexuality are different, difficult. Uh, they, they can be really uh, challenging because we've uh, all had different experiences with how the conversation is shaped and, and how it goes. Some of us have had very awkward conversations, very awkward experiences. Some of us have had our bodies uh, sinned against and, and maybe we're dealing with the guilt of, of sinning against others. Some of us just have triggers when the conversation uh, comes up because we've had conversations with parents that uh, meant well, but then didn't quite go well. We've been a part of churches where this conversation was dealt with in an unhealthy way. And oh yeah, a purity culture. And so as we talk about this, there's so much baggage, so many things that are going through our mind. But here's the beautiful thing. Paul, 
as he is talking to the church of Corinthians, he is going to give us something better than pragmatism, which says, uh, be righteous, be holy, because it's just going to work out better for you. Uh, Now, ultimately, we know that that is, is true in Christ Jesus. But the problem with that message is normally what we mean by it's going to work out better for us is, is that uh, everything's going to go according to our agenda and our desires. And when life gets hard, when a Jesus who is a solid ground, experientially, we feel like he has disappointed us because something doesn't go true, that, that pragmatism doesn't keep us and some of us, when we hear this message, man, we've, we've grown up hearing the message of moralism, which is just be moral, be moral. And certainly Christianity has a distinct Christian ethic and a, a distinct moral ethic, but every religious system just about has the message of be moral. And so as Christians, we can say that, and oftentimes the way that it's presented or the way that we receive it is, is be moral so that we can get God. When the truth of the matter is, is that God has already gotten us. So our morality doesn't flow to make ourselves right with God. It's because as Christians, God has made us right with him and we respond with our lives. And that's what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter six, we're going to see that Paul is, is really giving us the gospel and that's the gospel that helps us to become whole, not pragmatism, not moralism, and not, not the culture. Cultural message says it's uh, your body. It's your choice in a way that uh, can, can be unhealthy. You can just do whatever you want to do, have the experiences you want to have. After all, you just matter. So it really doesn't matter. Well, Paul's message is it does matter because you are not your own. Jesus has redeemed you. Jesus has sanctified you. Verse 11, Jesus has justified you. He set you apart. He's made you right with God. You now belong to the Lord. And Paul is going to give us a beautiful so we say, uh, metaphor isn't the right word. A beautiful spiritual reality and this beautiful spirituality that we're going to unpack is that, is that now your body, if you are redeemed, if you are in Christ, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to explore with you why what you do with your body matters. But I want to look at this from a gospel perspective and give you four simple movements that we see in this text. One, your body matters because God will resurrect your body. He will resurrect our bodies. Two is because God united us to Christ. Three, because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And then fourth, because God bought us with a high price. Now look at those things. Those are distinctly Christian. Paul is saying, listen, Corinthians, Listen, church, don't go with the culture. God has done something unique in you, and he has a distinct ethic for you to follow because Jesus is your Lord. You're no longer your own. And so the big idea is simply this. As the temple of the Holy Spirit, we glorify God with our bodies because of what God, because of what God will do in the future, is doing in the present, and has done in the past. As temples of the Holy Spirit, we glorify God with our bodies because of what God will do in the future, what he is doing in the present and what he has done in the past. And that's pretty much how Paul's article uh, argument is going to go. Now, we need to understand what Paul was addressing. He's trying to uproot this Roman Greco worldview that the Corinthians have. And so in verse 11, he's just warned the church at Corinth that those who are unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he lists a a host of sins, many which are sexual sins. And he says, if this is your pattern, your habit, your way of life, if this is what you're committed to, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says, and some of you used to be like this. 
In other words, you know the power of God. God washed you. You were sanctified, you were, which means you were set apart for his holy purposes. You were justified. You were made right with God. And you were done this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his character and by the Holy Spirit of God. And now Paul in verse 12 is going to kind of go at the slogans that the Corinthian Christians are adapting as their own. And these slogans really show the worldview um, that they were embracing. Now, these slogans could have been secular slogans that was in Corinth. Corinth was known for its debauchery. In fact, it was a, 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 they kind of had a, a famous uh, saying, it is to Corinthize people. And that is to just engulf them in debauchery, sexual immorality. I mean, they, they, they were wild. They were wild now. And, and Paul is saying, listen, we, you all are still being possibly impacted by this. And so here is a slogan, a way of living that I need to warn you against. But it's also possible what we're about to see in verse 12, that these were Paul's words, maybe used in a sermon at some point. And the Corinthians were taking them out of context and basically saying, hey, because we're in Christ, we are free to to, to live how we want to live because Christ has forgiven us of our sins. So look at verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. He's quoting what they're saying. And he says that twice. They're saying we have freedom in Christ. But notice what Paul says, but he says, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. Just because Christ has redeemed you and given you freedom in Christ doesn't mean that you um, should do something. Just because you can, it doesn't mean that you should. Now, I don't think Paul specifically has in mind right now the argument that they're making with um, sexuality. I think he's just saying in general. If y'all going to quote this in general, know that it's not beneficial. Okay? If you have problems in the past with alcohol and alcoholism, it's not beneficial for you to go to the bar and to sit at the bar and eat peanuts. It's only so many peanuts you're going to eat, bro. You know what I'm saying? But he also says, it's, I will not be master by all. Paul says, listen, if you are in Christ, Christ should be your only master. Christ should be your only master. And then he says in verse 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will do away with them both. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So now he's talking about this observation. Perhaps they're making this argument that, hey, food is for the body um, and, and for the stomach. And so when you're hungry, you eat in the same way when it comes to uh, your, your sexual appetite, um, just go with it. What you feel, just go with it because it's natural. And what Paul is really pressing against here is Gnosticism, is this, this picture of the body, this dualistic uh, uh, philosophy that basically said, uh, you're a person and you are a body. Those things are separate. True spirituality is uh, not embracing the body. It's embracing freedom. And one day uh, you will be completely free from this body. So what you do with your body really doesn't matter. You just matter and it doesn't really matter. It's not who you are. And Paul is saying, no, that is not true. As Christians, we are integrated beings. We are both person and body. And so what you do in your body, it, it matters. So he says this whole, the body is made for food and food is made for the body. He says, listen, God will do away with them both. It's hard to know exactly what he means, but it seems that he is pointing us based on the next verse to the resurrection of the body one day. And he's saying this, this type of food body relationship is going to be different in the future. And notice what he says in verse uh, 14. He says, but God raised up the Lord and he also will raise up the body. He raised up the Lord, he raised up the Lord, and he will also raise up the body. Paul is really pointing us, which gets us to our first point, to the fact that God will resurrect our bodies, which in essence is him saying, your body does matter because 
If God raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you from the dead. God is not going to do away with your body. What you do with your body matters to God so much that he's going to raise you from the dead. I love what Nancy Piercy in her excellent uh, book, Love Thy Body, she has a wonderful quote about the body. She says this, in the biblical worldview, sexuality is integrated into the total person. The most complete and intimate physical union is meant to express the most complete and intimate personal union of the body. The purpose of sex is to express the one flesh covenant bond of marriage. The loving way to treat young people is not to hand out contraceptives, which amounts to collusion in in-person and ultimately unfulfilling sexual encounters. It is far more loving to inspire them with a higher view of sexuality and reconnecting the body and the person. They experience a deep sense of health and personal integration. I once was a a part of a a church and uh, went to a church's youth group where um, they gave a a sex, a talk on, on sex and it was very pragmatic. It was devoid of the gospel. And at the end, they handed out condoms to kids. What Paul is arguing is what she's arguing in, in this book is that, no, we, we need the gospel to set us free. We need this vision of, of sexuality that the Lord gives us in the church. The body, listen, was not made for hooking up with prostitutes, Paul is saying. The body was not made for a theology that says your choice, your body, you can lay down and get up with whomever you want. It's not made for hookup culture. It's not made for friends with benefits. It's not made to be stimulated by whomever, however, and whenever. And oftentimes what leads us to give into the lust of our, our flesh is, is fear, it's shame, it's disappointment, and it's boredom. And the Bible gives us a distinct moral vision of of the whole person by giving us the good news of Jesus, by giving us a savior who loves us so much that he, he became like us and he died in our place so that when we're afraid, we can run to him who is perfect love. When we are filled with shame, we can be reminded that he endured shame so that we can be forgiven of our sins, washed of our sins, so that when we are bored, we can dive into him and and find the immeasurable riches of Jesus. The Christian worldview is distinct from the world's Because we link sex with marriage, with family, with love, with commitment, but ultimately it's because we believe that our bodies will be raised from the dead. But second, not only what we will do with our body matters because of God will resurrect our bodies, but second is because God has united us to Christ. Faith in Jesus unites us With Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and and, in John chapter four, Jesus talks about how he is in the Father and how the Father is in him. And it talks about, Jesus promises that one day that, that they in the same way will be in him just as he is in the Father and the Father is in, as in him. And he begins to uh, talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what binds us, what unites us to Jesus. Jesus has and is, has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And when we place our faith and trust in God, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we become beautifully and uh, mysteriously united to Christ. And the analogy that is used throughout the New Testament is the analogy of marriage, how a man and a woman becomes one flesh. In the same way, God is one with his, his people in a very intimate, holy, pure, beautiful way. And so that's what Paul is getting to at this text when he says, listen, 
The first reason why you should believe that what you do with your body matters is because God raised Jesus from the dead. But the second is because God united us to Christ. Verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Just let that sink in for a second. Your body is a part of Jesus's body. So should I, Paul says, take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? And again, he is talking to the Corinthians church who is normal for people to go to the temple to kind of offer their bodies as a spiritual and religious sacrifice to to prostitutes. He's saying, hey, y'all, Jesus, Jesus is reframing this. This is a different way as a disciple. Now, notice what he says, absolutely not. This is very strange, strong language. He says, no way. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, there, this is a deeply intimate, deeply spiritual act when two people come together by, doing, by having sex. And what this tells us is that there is no, sin, no, no such thing as casual sex. There's no such thing as being unimpacted by having sexual intimacy with someone. Sex is spiritual, it's physical, it's emotional, it's it's social, it's all of these things. And when you are having sex outside of the blessing of sex, which is in marriage, you experience holistically a a really intimate experience that, that can have a negative impact if done outside of the way in which Christ and God intended, which is in the covenant of marriage, in a a place of what should be safety and patience and understanding and self-giving. This is a a powerful picture here, but anyone joined to the Lord is is one spirit with him. And then he talks about how when one takes his body and, and, and sleeps with a prostitute, it's as if he's taking members of Jesus with him. Jesus is present with us when we give our faith to him at all times. He's not, he's indwelling us through the Holy Spirit. And this is just a a good reminder of the omnipresence of God. You know, growing up, there'd be school dances and at these school dances, uh, there would be, especially in like eighth grade, seventh grade, there'd be chaperones, right? And uh, some parents would come along with the students to be chaperones. And that whoever parent that was, that was the student's chaperone, like you knew that that student was not going to cut up on the dance floor. You just knew because that parent was there, right? They just danced differently, right? And everybody was like, oh, your parent is the chaperone. Now, I didn't go to Christian school, so some of y'all are like, that didn't happen at my school. Mine was a little different, all right? Different context. Stay with me, right? You just knew that person isn't dancing. If they are, you wait till Luther Vandross come on and you do one of these, right? <laughs> because that parent was present. It's like as if Paul is saying, but this is not the analogy. Every analogy breaks down. Hey, Jesus, Jesus is your chaperone. But here's the thing about Jesus. He's not a killjoy. He's not uptight. He's, he's not there to, to wave his finger at you so that you cannot have fun, so that you cannot enjoy God's good creation. He is there. He is with you, wanting you to experience all the good that God has for you. Wanting you to experience that which is beautiful, that which is true, that which is lovely, that which is is holy. And he is indwelling you and encouraging you to submit your life to him as a living sacrifice because he is your Lord. Your body no longer belongs to you. Not so that he can punish you 
but so that you can be a wholehearted, fully integrated, relying upon the Lord person. So he says, listen, God has united us to Christ. Notice what he says here in verse 18. He says, flee sexual sin, flee sexual immorality for every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his his own body. And there's debate about exactly what that means. But we know at the bare minimum, he said, hey, sexual sin is very powerful. It's all it's, it's, it's different than every other sin. It is holistic and it impacts you holistically, but specifically as temples of the Holy Spirit. When we take our bodies and we use them, them with prostitutes, when we use them to inflame our lust, maybe with graphic novels, with pornography, with uh, just scratching whatever itch we have, we are sinning against our own body in that we are sinning against the Holy Spirit who is indwelling us. Which brings us to our third point. Paul says, listen, we are temple of the Holy, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? This is a profound reality. This is absolutely beautiful what Paul is doing here. (laughs) He says, here's the spirituality. You are the temple of the Lord. Temples, as I said earlier, were profound spiritual uh, realities. In the Old Testament, a temple was a, a sacred meeting place. It was where worship, where sacrifice, where prayers took place. Before the temple was the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, God gave uh, Israel very specific instructions. And it was, the tabernacle was beautiful. It was a very holy place. It was to be uh, held in a very specific way. And then from the tabernacle became the temple and the temple was as holy in a similar way. It's where God's presence dwelled. It's where his spirit dwelled. And then Jesus came in the New Testament and he put on human flesh and he lived a perfect life and he went on the cross in our place. And he died the death that we deserve so that our past, present, and future sins would be placed on him. And as he was dying, the Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. This holy veil where the the holies of holy was, it was torn in two. Why? Because now everyone who puts their faith and trust on a crucified and resurrected Jesus now becomes the temple of God. Your body becomes sacred. Psalm 139 says, you are beautiful. Listen, you are beautifully and fearfully made. God knows the very number of hairs that are on your head. You are God's poema. You are his masterpiece. He loves you and he shaped you and formed you and put you in a body and you are a person. And those two things mysteriously interact. And what you do with your body matters because Jesus is Lord of your body and you now have this precious treasure indwelling you, which is the Holy Spirit. Your body is where worship should take place. It's where sacrifice now takes place. It's where prayer now takes place. It's where abiding takes place. You are not just a lump of cells. You are not just matter that doesn't matter. You are not someone who should just be seeking simulation in, in, in any way in, in, that you, you want. The world is, is, is deceiving you. You are precious to God. And listen, this brings us to our last point. You were bought with the price. The God of this universe loved you so much that he allowed his son a hefty price 
to die in your place so that you can have union with him, so that you can know him, so that you can have an intimate relationship with him. So when you are afraid, rather than running away from him to idols that will not satisfy, that will enchain you, that that will disappoint you, you can run to Jesus, to him, and learn to find satisfaction in the one who delights in you. So much that he gave his whole self for you. So much that he prayed before going on the cross to the point that his sweat became blood. So much that he rejected the kingdoms of this world that Satan tempted him with to have without a cross, a crown without a cross, so much that he allowed his body to be whipped 39 times, so much that he allowed them to press a a crown of thorns on his head, so much that he allowed the very people that he created and formed to nail him to a cross to embarrass him in front of his mother. He loved you so much that he allowed them to put him in Joseph's borrowed tomb. He loved you so much that he raised from the dead, ascended unto heaven, is seated on the right hand of God, interceding for you, welcoming you when you fall short, not with condemnation, not with guilt, but with love, saying, this is why I died for you. So that my righteousness would become yours. So that your account would become mine. So that you could be washed and forgiven and made whole. So that you can learn true love. So that you can learn to to, to understand that even when you feel lonely, that you are never alone. Because I would never leave you nor forsake you. God bought you with the highest price possible by allowing his perfect son to put on human flesh, allowed him to humble himself to the point of death, yes, even death on a cross. Not only is your body the temple of the Holy Spirit, but your brother's and sister's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if they're not in Christ, each person is made in the image of God. And each human being is still sacred in God's eyes. He is their creation, which should impact how we view other people, how we treat other people, why we should not desecrate their bodies by sinning against them. And that's why we repudiate organizations and and we stand up for justice within organizations that we may be a part of that that allows abuse and sexual sin to, to run rapid. So what's my application for you? It's just to flee from sexual sin. That's what Paul says here. Flee from sexual immorality. Ephesians chapter four, verse 27 says this. Listen, do not give the devil a foothold. Oftentimes when we think about fleeing from sexual immorality, we think about like being in the moment um, and, and, and then just running. And I think that's part of it. But I also think that part of wisely fleeing sexual immorality is, is being sensitive to what, what triggers you. What what charges you, what tempts you and not putting yourself in those situations as much as you can. Now, we are induated by just sexual debauchery, by pictures and and, and, and the selling of the body and and, and scantly ways and ways to to try to get you to pay attention uh, to something that is attractive and maybe beautiful in order to get into your pocket. And it's very difficult in today's age to flee from it. But nonetheless, Paul is encouraging us just as he was encouraging the church of Corinth to not be Corinthicized, to not just go along with the motions, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God to fight back, 
And to know that when you stumble and when you fall, that there is forgiveness, that there is power, that there is a greater love. Give Satan an inch, he will take a mile. If you allow sin to run rampant, it will bind you, it will blind you, and it will grind you. And God's love for you doesn't change. Even when we are in sin, if we are in Christ, his love for you does not change. Listen to me. His love for you does not change. But what changes is your experience of his love. Because your mind becomes clouded with, with guilt, with, with fear, with, with shame. And we quench the Holy Spirit. We put out the Holy Spirit's fire by not walking in obedience. So a matter of, of salvation, yes, to a point, if we continue in sin that grace should abound much more, certainly not. But we should pursue Jesus. Why? Because he is beautiful. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God experientially. They shall experience God. You shall be satisfied by God. You shall be fulfilled by God. I want you to just pause and think of the most beautiful sights in nature that you've ever saw. Think of that waterfall. Think of that mountain. Think of that canyon. Think of that flower. God created that. He formed that. He made that. Listen, and he's more beautiful. What God is offering us in Christ Jesus is beauty, is delight. Fight for that delight to see him more clearly. And we do that by fleeing. What does fleeing look like? It looks like three things. One, it looks like just worshiping Jesus. When I was in college and I was struggling, I was struggling with, with guilt. I was struggling with shame. And my pastor came alongside me and he taught me a very beautiful thing. And that's simply how to worship Jesus in a practical way. Rather than running from him to idols and to physical pleasure, how do you take that moment? When that thought first starts, how do you pull down strongholds? Rather than paying attention to it and giving it the attention, how do you redirect your attention to Jesus? He taught me to pray. He taught me to listen to worship music. He taught me to get to my face. He taught me to pick up the phone and call other brothers and to let them know I'm lonely. It's Friday night. I'm struggling. This is what I would have done a couple years ago on a Friday night. Like, what y'all doing? taught me to fast and to live this thing out. And the more I did that, the stronger I became as the Holy Spirit uh, grew my faith so that I could walk more faithfully. Perfection didn't come then and perfection isn't here now. We are all spiritually and sexually broken and what God calls us to, though, is to take our brokenness and to sit it at the feet of Jesus and allow his grace to, to wash us over. If you're going to flee from sexual sin, you have to worship Jesus. You have to run and, and, and not walk. You got to be like Potiphar and put on those spiritual Nikes and get out of there. Don't play with it. Just get out. So Paul told Timothy, he says, flee youthful lust. Why would he tell that to Timothy, who's a pastor? Because Paul knows it's real out here in these streets. And he says, rather than giving to your lust, he says, put on faith, put on a sound mind. In other words, worship Jesus. And I think God's invitation to some of us in here is just to pause and to think about how our story is playing into our sexuality. 
And God's invitation perhaps is for you to reach out to our counseling ministry or reach out to a brother and sister and just share your story, just scrape that barrel. And if there's trauma in your past, to do that with someone who is experienced and possibly licensed so that they can help you to hold that and to work through that so that you are not responding to your nature by just scratching that itch every time it comes. There is freedom for you in Christ. This is a a safe place. Listen to me. If you are here at Sojourn, you are loved. God loves you. We love you too. There are resources to help you to experience the beauty of Jesus. So process your story. Grow in self-awareness. Learn what what triggers you. James 1 talks about these desires that we all have and how they uh, can be an evil desire and and how that that desire can we can we can. uh, I'm just going to read it. Y'all so crazy. Oh boy, memory ain't like it used to be. Hey, listen, James 1, 14. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And so when those attractions are there, which is sometimes is natural, sometimes is unnatural. What James is inviting us to is, is not to give it unhelpful attention. Acknowledge it, but don't dwell on it where it becomes lust. Give it to Jesus. Least you fall into sin. And when that sin becomes habitual, it leads you to death. And sometimes not even habitual. Sometimes the sin at the wrong time in the wrong way can can have, have consequences. Even for those who are in Christ, that is way too high to pay. But lastly, I think, you know, Jesus talks about this radical action of, of cutting off your hand, plucking out your eye. He's not talking about literally. So if you come next week maimed, sojourn is not going to pay your bills. All right. <laughs> I'm going to be like, go see Pastor Jarvis. Amen. <laughs> Our next medical clinic is on. It's like, No. Jesus says, sometimes like it takes radical action to uproot sin. Our culture is just like just going downstream as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit. We together are going upstream, not in our own power, but in the power of Jesus. Now, listen, covenant eyes, all these different tools we have may be helpful, but If that is what you're depending on to help you to be pure, you are going to fall and you are going to find a workaround. That's why worshiping Jesus is important. Don't rely on those things. Rely on Jesus and the power of his spirit. Finally, Paul starts this sermon. And we, it's easy. Sometimes we look at this text, a text like this, like, man, this is straight. This is hard. But I, I just want to point y'all to how he starts the book. The church of Corinth is like really struggling in this area and listen to his opening words. Listen, and I want you to hear God, the father's voice over you as you may be struggling today. Paul says, I always thank God, thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. This is a church that's wilding out, that's going to the temple with prostitutes. I thank God for you. That you were enriched in him in every way and all speech and all knowledge in this way. The testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God is faithful. God is faithful. He doesn't 
set this argument in pragmatic, moralistic ways. He washes them with the grace of God. He does the same thing in the book of Titus. He says, listen, you were saved by grace and you're also going to be sanctified by grace. Grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness. In James chapter four, he says, where, where there is sin, he gives more grace. His grace leads you to repentance, not beating yourself up, not self-loathing, not self-help. It's looking to him, looking to what he's done for you, worshiping him, knowing that he loves you and he has more for you. Receive his grace. Receive his grace. In Christ, your sexual sin does not define you. The blood of Jesus does. But you also are not a slave to sin. And obedience is what he's calling you to. Because that is the way of life in him. Next week, we got a powerful sermon from a guest speaker, one of my favorite uh, Men, he's going to come with us. We got the Harbor Network. We're going to have two guests two weeks in a row. Um, he's going to kind of pick up and give us some more tools. Three weeks from then, when I'm back in the pool bit, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, and we're going to really dive into life in the Spirit and how the Spirit gives us freedom. I want to do something strange and weird um, as we get ready to close. I know today was a, a bit longer, but sometimes you got to have a family talk. Here's what I want to invite you to do. In just a second, I'm going to pray. Our team is going to come up for communion. But I'm going to ask if there's any uh, pastors here um, to, to come into the connect room. Any uh, ladies who are deacons, uh, would you come too? And we just want to create a space to pray for you. I know this isn't so turns away, but listen, some of y'all, some of us are just in bondage and God is offering you freedom. Or maybe it's not even bondage. Maybe you're just vexed and you want to pray with a brother and sister because you know how sin is running rampant. Or maybe it's someone else that you want to stand in a gap for and pray. I want to invite you to come to the connect room as you're taking communion and let someone pray with you and pray for you. And maybe God is calling you to confess your sins. The Bible says, confess your sin and you shall be healed. Listen, healing is for you today. Don't leave this place without healing. The pastor or deacon, they will hold that with you and they will pray for you. Now, we can ignore that. Won't hurt me if no one goes in there. But God may be inviting you to do something different today, to actually acknowledge and to name what Satan is shaming you with so that you can hear another person pray the gospel over you and remind you that you are loved. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.